Hi, Ria. Thank Hello. you for joining us on Black Ink Cinema Podcast. So you're a comedian and actress, but before we get into all of that, you are a legit genius and <laughs> you have a history in IT fraud forensics? Uh, IT forensics, yes. IT forensics. So I did IT forensics, computer forensics. And tell us a little bit about that. What does that entail for us? Uh, it, it, everyone hears forensics and thinks, ooh, exciting, you know, crime yeah. scenes and, and law and order and everything. It's actually very clean. I work for the serious fraud office. So they, you know, they deal in complex uh, fraud cases. So it was a lot of core dumping of information from computers uh, for, you know, from suspects' computers onto disks, and then we wouldn't actually analyze it ourselves because it's fraud. We'd send it off to accountants and lawyers to see. Right. You know, they'd look at all the Excel spreadsheets and get excited, and we'd just make sure there was no illegal porn. <laughs> that <laughs> that was the job. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, of course you can't talk about it, but um, I'm sure it must have been quite interesting. Um, there must have been big companies involved and... Um, the thing about cases, the thing about cases is that they take years. I mean, I think there were cases that started before I joined the company and continued on after I left. Wow. Um, and so it's it doesn't work at the same pace. Nothing works at the pace of TV. Nothing gets <laughs> solved in an hour. All right, yeah. there is never a crime scene where they go, okay, let's go to commercial break now. None, none yeah. of that ever happens. It is quite, and also it is forensics. It's painstaking. You have to make sure that every single I is dotted, every single T is crossed, because if there's one mistake in the chain of custody, you can screw the whole case. Because if they, if they can say, you know what, one of your people didn't, didn't get the data properly, so how do we know that you haven't accidentally um, corrupted the entire case by contaminating yeah. it with, with data from another computer? So you have to be, it's a quite a meticulous job. Jesus. Um, it sounds it. And also before that, you were a virologist? I, so I was just, a virologist. That was, yeah. I, this is how weird a teenager I was. Viruses <laughs> were my love in high school. Um, and not like behind the bins, collect them all in the <laughs> style, uh, you know, with the boys. I mean, I, I had a wonderful biology teacher in high school and he, I just, I fell in love with the subject because of the teacher, not in a dirty way. That sounds wrong. I didn't fall in love with the teacher, fell in love with the subject well, because he was a wonderful teacher. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and the thing that really captured my imagination were, were viruses. They're fascinating. They're not quite alive, but they are, but they replicate. They, they're not alive. They can't by themselves do anything. They have to, you know, they're parasitic. They have to find a host in order to procreate. Um, and they are microscopic and yet can wreak so havoc. much damage, so much havoc. Um, I, I wish I could think of an example of... of <laughs> Just off the top of my head, I can't I, think. I'd but say. there must be, some, you know, there must, be, must be something. Yeah. Something. I mean, you must be like the go-to friend right now of all things pandemic. Do you know, it's actually, a, it's a nice change because my PhD was in herpes viruses. Um, and so for years, people were like, oh, do you mind looking at this? And I went, I, I am not a doctor. I mean, I am, I'm that, no, I don't want to look at, I don't want to look down there. Thank you very much. Um, I love that. Uh, did you use protection? You, you probably should go get, you should probably go see someone for that. Yeah. Um, 
So it's an, it makes a nice change uh, to, to be questioned about this. And it's exciting. I mean, this, I mean, scientifically speaking, what's yeah. happening right now is incredibly exciting from a science point of view. Obviously, mm-hmm. from a social and economic point of view, there are grave consequences. And, and we're all aware of that. But from the fact that we have a new virus that's come out that we are able to study, the fact that we are developing vaccines at a rate that we've never de- been, you know, developed vaccines before... Yeah what we're learning, what we're learning about medical care. And I mean, there's a lot of knowledge being added to, to, to what exists in science because of how much the global science community is coming together to try and combat this. And we've never seen that before. We've never had so many labs all over the world, even be able to share information because of the internet. So, so from that point of view, it is, um, I think that we're going to see that we've made a lot of progress and a lot of things in terms of coming together and studying things mm. off the back of this. So how did you go from forensics <laughs> and biology to uh, comedy and acting? Okay, good question. Um, the clues were there. I think <laughs> the clues were there. So comedy is... is uh, well, comedy was when I joined it. When I found comedy, that was, you know, think back to before, if you can, think back to before YouTube and before the internet and when you were still watching, if you wanted to watch comedy, it, it was something that you bought on VHS or DVD yes. and then you would watch that one routine by that one comic over and over and over again. For me, it was Eddie Izzard. My parents had a few of those and some of them were Borg, if you've ever heard of Victor Borg. Uh, so they, we had these old classic videos and I would watch them over and over again. And comedy was really, it wasn't at the time considered a proper job. You don't, you don't, you don't say as a 16 year old and I will be a comedian. It's something that you (laughs) fell into. You can now though. That's what's fascinating about it. Nowadays, we're seeing younger and younger comics that, that, you know, they turn 18 and they're allowed to come in the pub and they're allowed to get on stage and try their craft. And they already have a lot more knowledge about how to stand, how to act, how to hold the microphone, how to present themselves, how to write a joke because of how much exposure they have to, to, to comedy through the internet that we never had. So our learning, our learning curve was a lot slower. It's, it was for the outcasts. You, those that found comedy and stuck with it were those that had sort of tried everything else in life and failed. You know, they tried jobs, they tried day jobs, they tried, you know, uh, fitting in with their families or, or just the, the, the strict expectations that we had and it didn't work and they found comedy and it did work. And mm-hmm. I think I'm definitely one of those people. I mean, come on, if, if you've got a high schooler that thinks viruses are fascinating and it's geeking out on that. I mean, you're good. That's a clue. I think that's a clue. <laughs> And it, and it just really suited me. So I actually started while I was still studying at university oh, okay. and then all the way through my PhD. But I got to a point where I realized, hang on, I could work 10 hours a day in a lab or yeah. 20 minutes a night on stage. Uh, and, um, I think that's a pretty easy, uh, easy choice there. No one applauds you when you walk into the lab in the morning. Yeah. Nobody, nobody just goes, woohoo! <laughs> Can't wait to see what you discover today in the lab. No one does that. But, you know, when you're a comedian, you, they applaud you before they even know if you're funny. Yeah. That like, welcome like to a- the stage. Yeah. Um, I got addicted to that. So your heritage is Filipino. I can't imagine there was that many... Filipinos in the circuit? No, I think, I think if, well, I'm half Filipino, so I'm half Filipino, half German. And right. um, to our knowledge, there's only two of us. There wow. is also Rick Carenza, who's half Filipino, half Scottish. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it's not something that we found. And actually worldwide, uh, I, I went, I was gigging in Dubai 
And this wonderful girl bounded up to me and just said, you're the foremost Filipino comedian in the world. I know I've done all the research. Uh, <laughs> and she was a budding comic. And I've been watching her progress on, on, um, on Instagram. And she's just been, you know, and she's been growing and growing. But she, you know, Filipinos are starting to come out. And, mm. and yeah, there's a few, there's a few yeah. of us out there, but um, we blend in really well as well. Okay. <laughs> so that must give you, having that mixed heritage must give you a unique perspective when it comes to the UK circuit, your, your view on sometimes, the sometimes too unique. You know, mm. there are times where I'm there going, no one, no one else is going to relate to this because yeah. I'm, you know, how, how do you tell those jokes about, I mean, I mean, but you, you find common ground and, and that's the challenge of it. the challenge of, of course, it's better to be unique. You don't want to yeah. be just yet another comic that gets on stage and, and, um, you know, and does a, you know, you don't want to just be another comic that gets on stage and tells dick jokes. Um, yeah. and, and so the more unique you are, especially now where mm. people do have, can, you know, they have so many options. They can go home and watch Netflix or Amazon prime or go yeah. to the comedy club down the road. So when there is that much selection, then mm. it is good to be unique because it makes you that more unique a product. And more I exciting. Think- I think people will be surprised, actually. I think sometimes the more unique you are, the more relatable as well in a very weird way. But I think some people could always find something to relate with you on whatever level it is. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, same heritage or whatever. It could just be the experience that you're talking mm-hmm. about. And I think sometimes we think because it's such a unique experience to ourselves that no one's got to really understand or get it. But actually you'll be you'll be surprised. I think, I think you're exactly right with that. And actually it's always audience audiences always. It's interesting. There's sort of like a direction. You've got the audiences that, that, that imbibe your product that, you know, that uh, consume your product. And then you've got people, for example, um, commissioners or, or, or people in the media who decide yeah. whether or not to put your product on a larger stage. Yeah. And it's, and it's usually, it's funny how you could be told by a commissioner what an audience likes. And you're like, no, no, I, I just spoke to the audience last yeah. night. They, they were fine with my product. And yeah. there's a commissioner going, Oh, we're not sure you're a bit unique. I don't know. I don't know what that to really winds me up. Uh, yeah. And instead you're going, but they actually really like it. They don't mind. Like you said, mm. we found some common ground. Turns yeah. out we're all human. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> crazy crazy we talk similar experiences yeah. what are the odds um and so you also host your own podcast i do ria lena's behind which i was listening <laughs> to and there's some oh my god you've got some great guests on there um i love the black lives matter podcast as well that you did i thought that was brilliant and it is very important to separate the uk and the us experience of course because there's always this comparison but it's like you know it's it's not here to compare it's just to understand the different experiences although still have similar you know well exactly i I love so i love my podcast really is behind and the idea is of course to get behind the news because i was finding i was listening to the news trying to stay abreast of it and just not Mm. on you know like right now things are happening in belarus i didn't study history I didn't, I didn't get taught that in school. So I have no idea what the context is of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so I, I realized that I wanted to do a podcast where one expert would just catch me up on it. So not necessarily give me what they think is happening in Belarus right now, but just tell me how did Belarus get to where it is at the moment. Um, And the, and, and when I, and Black Lives Matter was, was very prominent in June and, and still continues to be important, of course. And I realized there, I was like, you know what? I don't, 
I don't know the history of how we got to where we are and why why are these these things happening um and and the first thing that i learned was that even though we even though we share a kinship across the pond with you know because black lives matter in june came from america and we picked yeah, it up here in the uk and it got picked up in other countries uh but, but we do have very different histories and mm-hmm. we do have very different relationships between the races for different reasons i mean some of the same problems exist yes but um it was important so that's why i separated those two out and and we spoke about the uk versus speaking about the u.s to understand yeah. that and i love it i love learning about these things and these mm. you know in fact we could talk for a lot longer than the hour but most of course people, i mean who's jogging for more than an hour they've got too much time on their hands right? <laughs> you look gorgeous enough stop running Don't eat a burger. <laughs> stop <laughs> exactly um no i i really enjoyed it um and i was just like found myself just going through them and just like sitting there and learning and immersing so much and it is really important to get i think sometimes whichever the cause or the issue that you're dealing with you just think that people know and actually what i've learned this year is like the absolute ignorance or just like lack of knowledge or understanding yes. that people have so they wouldn't know you just assume well this has been going on for years and mm. decades and centuries and it's like for some people it's brand new information like they are genuinely or were genuinely oblivious and had no idea that this had been going on and so I found myself having those kind of conversations um like what world have you been living in? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's exactly it. I think for me, what annoys me, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head, is people who form opinions based on a lack of information. Mm-hmm. I get very nervous about having an opinion. And especially with something like Black Lives Matter, because what I'm very conscientious of is, yes, I am ethnic, uh, mm-hmm. BAME, POC, whatever the term is now that that uh, that we're supposed to identify by. But yeah. I'm not. I am not black, so it's not... You know, but I am not white. So, so there came a point where all the white people on Facebook were going, "It's my turn to listen," uh, and you know, and and I was there going, "I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't, yeah. yeah, you know, you know, am I allowed to have an opinion about which statue should stay up and which should stay down? And if I do have an opinion, should I even say it out loud? Because who am I in the conversation? So that yeah. there's, there, but what I was clear on was that I don't know enough. That's yeah. what I knew is that I didn't know enough. So. Do people need to stop and listen? Yes, but I would like people to stop and read. I think yeah. that's what I would like to have seen more is people going, what I know is that I need to read a little bit more yeah. and just learn a little bit more about this. Yes, one million percent. And um, before we swiftly move on, that term BAME and people of color, this is the problem why you would feel confused is because people just get lumbered in one experience and actually... Yes that's not the same. You know, you don't know how a, a, a black man feels like. So just because you're part of this BAME or this people of color, you kind of get pushed into this um, other. <laughs> you well, must know how it is. And it's like, yeah, you have your yeah. own discriminations and your own experiences and your own, but it's not going to be the same. So it is about understanding the different experiences that everyone will have and just it's- listening it's tricky, isn't it? It's two sides of one coin because while on the one hand, we wish to, uh, we wish everybody to feel seen and respected. And mm. that is what part of identity politics is. Even though people make fun of it or find that it goes to extremes, identity politics is about uh, saying, I see you. 
I see you exactly. as you are and as you identify. I think progress is being made. Yeah, 100%. I think progress is being made. Yeah, uh, 2020 has definitely been a bombshell. Um, but <laughs> where, can, <laughs> where can people find you? What are your socials? So I am Rialina, which is R-I-A-L-I-N-A. And if you type that in, uh, it'll come up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I think I have an underscore on some of them because yeah. on some of them, someone got there first with the oh, those but people. And it's I like, know. I was the only one. How dare you? Well, <laughs> actually, I thought Rialina was quite a unique, unique name. Turns out that it's very common in sort of Spanish-speaking cultures. And okay. on Twitter... This woman, I, I assume it's a woman, I don't know. Someone took the name at Realine on Twitter in 2007 or oh, eight or not. It's just some way back when, used <laughs> it for a month and then it's never touched it since. They do I'm that. Having, it's almost like they suss it out and they're like, someone's going to need this one day. Let me just store it. Keep it in the pocket. So maybe it's my worst enemy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she could see that you were heading for big stuff and she thought, let this me just wait. Oh, I'm taking yeah. her hand off. Well, I've got an underscore. So, there. Oh. Yeah. So, of course, Black Ink Cinema podcast is about celebrating all things black cinema and we asked you to pick a film that represents black cinema and you chose the legendary sister act two um yes. back in the habit back in the habit starring the one and only Whoopi goldberg and i just want to know why and lauren hill oh actually oh, i think oh, she's pretty we're, we're, we're getting to lauren we're getting to miss yeah. lauren <laughs> miss lauren yes miss lauren. Getting to, getting to miss. Yeah. uh but yes that so was my choice why did you pick uh sister act two uh, do you know what? It's it's interesting when you first when you know when you first asked me to, to pick a movie in black cinema, and I just went, oh, and I, I immediately went, oh, I don't know enough about black cinema. I don't, you know. And when I thought about it, this, this was a hugely important movie for me growing up, mm. uh, and I think that the reason it didn't occur to me straight away, you know, I didn't. It's because. Whoopi, I grew up with Whoopi Goldberg. She was my idol long before I even knew even thought about comedy being an option for myself. Wow. Uh, she actually, it's funny. I used to watch her over and over again in another movie called Made in America, which she did with oh, Tim Danson. I love Made in America. You know, Made, I love Made, Made in America. Nia Long. Yes. Um, Ted, um, Ted, Ted Danson. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ted Danson. Classic. Absolutely. Oh, classic. You know, I don't know anyone else who knows that. So Made in America, Sister Act, uh, anything Whoopi was in, I was yes. watching it. And, yeah. and she actually reminds me of my own mother, even though they're obviously two completely different races, but there was just something about her. So watching her was very comforting to me oh, as well. Uh, we were Trekkies in my household, so <laughs> she was the next gen. Just, yes. And she did everything. She's, I mean, I also, I do music, I do cabaret. She was, I mean, sister act too. She was able to sing. She did her comedy. You could feel the stamp of her uh, influence over the film. Yeah. And, and I think that that was just a dream for me. But Sister Act 2, especially more than Sister Act 1, it, I prefer it to Sister Act 1. I, I was going to ask that because a lot of people, you know, it's rare that people would pick the sequel, sequel to the original. And I was like, oh, risque. Love it. <laughs> yeah. But so if you go through both movies, you know, when you look at the high points, I think that those feel-good moments in Sister Act 2 are higher than the feel-good moments in Sister Act 1. Yes. Sister Act 1, you've got all of the... you've there's Because Sister Act... 
two is a feel-good movie from start to finish. There yeah. is no Jeopardy. In Sister Act One, you've got the Jeopardy. And remember, I was, I mean, these came out when I was a kid. Yeah, I was young when I was 92, 93. I was a young kid. So the whole mob thing and being chased by men with guns was really scary for me. And, mm. and so those elements in the first movie, you know, the fact that she was almost on TV and then they saw her and then they found all of that. I didn't like that side of the movie. You want the music bits. You want the coming together. You want the, I also, if I'm honest, didn't really relate to the, they got to sing for the Pope. Um, yeah. <laughs> because I, I was raised with, I was raised with no religion. So, yeah. so it didn't mean anything to me. Mm. Uh, whereas of course, again, as a child, the second one is children. And the second one is about giving children hope and going to a San Francisco slum essentially and 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 saving kids that otherwise would be lost in the system and lost to the Mm. streets i think there was just so much in it so much that's inspiring uh you know the 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 turning or the convincing of lauren hill's character to come back on board to say it is okay to follow your dreams it is okay to be a singer in a you know at a time where you know her mom was wasn't wrong to say yeah of course you can't I mean, that's follow like singing black mums that's yeah. you know my mum's like mm, no that's not a job <laughs> no. and of course from that movie we get your shoulda woulda couldas uh that's where i first heard your shoulda you shaking your shoulda woulda couldas so so it's just those two the two moments in that movie for everyone who knows it is of course when the choir first come together and sing in front of the assembly yes. and then their final performance in in the competition and i think like yourself it's weird because i think i do prefer or maybe the second one is more memorable and is like Mm. ingrained in my brain because it was with kids you know teenagers and at that time it was aspirational you know i'm looking up to these like really cool kids and they're so hip um and lauren and the cast you've got jennifer love hewitt for goodness sake and um they do such a good job in like representing kind of like being a teenager and feeling mm-hmm. a bit lost and insecure and figuring yourself out. And, um, and like you said, I think it was more of a, you could relate to it. Like the first yeah. one, we're not being chased by mobsters. So yeah, yeah, you, we're not. And, and it had, and it has whoopee all over it. And they do mm. that. They, they bring in really nicely from a cinematic point of view, they bring in the cast from the first movie for that one moment in the, you know, the one performance in the um, retirement home. Yeah. It's just, it just has, it just has everything that you want from it. I, you know, we all have, as at least I think as women, we all have those movies, and and men maybe too. But we all have those movies that we need to sit with a bucket of ice cream and watch at three oh, o'clock yeah. in the morning. You know, you're like, I am not sleeping tonight. I am crying all night. <laughs> yeah. oh. And that is yeah, in my top totally. three. Yeah. Those are, that is in my top three. My other two are obscure, but that one is. That's the one that I'll watch. And if not, if I don't have time, I will just watch those bits. I'll just yes. watch the choir bit. I'll just watch the end bit. Curiously, what are the other two films in your top three? Okay, one is Hello, Dolly okay. with, with Barbara Streisand. Yes. Um, and and just because, again, it's light, it's comedy, everything ends up, you know, happy in the end. Um, Barbara Streisand is stunning. Yes. She's just stunning to watch. Mm. And and a lot of her other work has has shades of darkness in it. And Hello, yeah. Dolly just is, doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is a movie called Gigi. I don't know if you know Gigi. I do know Gigi. You do know Gigi. So should- Gigi is a beautiful romance. I mean, it's totally wrong by today's standards. Yes. Let's I be mean, honest. I lots of films. <laughs> yeah, true, true. But it, the guy who plays Gaston is so attractive just 
the perfect gentleman and he's and in this movie he's rich and he's good looking and he's good to he's good to her grandmama and uh, you know any any he whips her out of poverty it's cinderella gigi yeah. is cinderella that's what it is if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it but it's a beautiful beautiful film yeah um and and i just and again it's it's from my child something that i was introduced to as a child and so that is another one that i i sit there and leslie caron is is gorgeous yeah it's quite funny how those films have such a nostalgic place in your heart once you watch them at a certain yeah uh, impressionate age and then mm-hmm. they just get stuck with you and they are those kind of you want to sit there it's indulgent and it's kind of comforting to kind of just watch these these films it's, they yeah. have that effect no matter how many times i watch sister act two I still have the, the same emotions, you know, I still feel sorry for Lauren and I'm just like, oh, all she wants to do is sing, mum, like just let her sing. And so, yeah. And I think that's the other thing, you know, you know, saying black cinema, I mean, all of the, all of the talented roles in that film are, are, are black actors. And uh, this is, I think this is actually leading me on to my next one. Sister Act 2 felt a little bit more blacker with the oh, very black much. cast um, yeah. directed by um, a black director. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how did, did that, was that a barrier in you relating to the characters or anything like that? Or did you actually feel more like? No, I think quite the opposite. I think mm. that I cert- I grew, I spent my primary school years in, in California, very close to San Francisco. Mm. And, and then I came over and then I came back to the UK because I was born here. I'm British. And we came back uh, to a small village where I was, I think one, there was me and there was a girl called Cherry Brown. And she was, the <laughs> bla- she was the black girl of the school and I was the Asian and that was it. That's all right. there was in, in, in the middle school where we were in the little village that we lived in. And I think that I and and I think that it's probably part of the way that society is designed. But I've always related more to being in the POC group mm. than than the white group, and, yeah. and it's an interesting phenomenon because I am half white. I am as much Filipino as I am white. In fact, in some ways, you might say I'm more white because I was raised in America and then in in the UK and then yeah. we moved to the Netherlands. Um, my dad's German. We would go to Germany on holiday. I never even stepped foot in the Philippines until I was well over 30. So mm. I, you know, all signs point to more white than ethnic, mm-hmm. but society doesn't see me that way. No. Uh, and, right. and you, and you can't, it's unless you're blind, I guess, and you don't <laughs> know what you look like or don't have a concept of race, mm-hmm. you can't ignore what you see in the mirror and you can't ignore what other people see when they look at you. So I think that I've always identified with, you know, as I said, I always saw Whoopi as a mother figure. You know, she was mm. someone that I, I, I the, the fact that she was different to me, my mom is darker than my dad. So that, that the fact that Whoopi is a different race doesn't, didn't, it doesn't click to children. Yeah. It doesn't click to children um, yeah. at all. So no, I don't, that was not in any way a barrier for, for, and in fact, I've always championed, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't want blonde dolls. I wanted brunette dolls. That's interesting. That's that's who I was. I, I wanted the brunette. I always, cha- I always was cheering for the brunette and often the brunette was black, occasionally yeah. Asian. Um, and if that, that was, that was my team. That was the team I was on because I, I belonged on team Brown. Do you feel like I don't belong on team blonde? That was a little bit rebellious to, I don't know, society standards. Was that you're choosing this to kind of not fall into that trap of I'm not good enough or 
the world doesn't think I'm good enough. So it was almost like a, a protective barrier. No, because I don't think I ever had that concept of the world. If I'm honest, okay. I, I never, you know, I'm in the world. Mm. I am legit. <laughs> I, you know, I, I am here. Um, it's interesting because it's a lot of conversation now, isn't it? Uh, for children these days, you know, when they're, you know, one of the arguments for changing the history curriculum is to allow, you know, young black Brits to see themselves and to see role models in the history because yeah. it was a very white history that was taught, um, up until recently. But I never personally never saw, looked at history and went, oh, but what can I do? I, mm -hmm. I never saw it that way. I saw it as the past. That's what mm -hmm. happened. Those are the people that did that. And I believe that, that re you know, changing up the curriculum and teaching a, a more racially diverse history, mm -hmm. for me, it wasn't so much about giving role models to children. It mm -hmm. was about repositioning where we are right now and letting yeah. everybody know, hey, it wasn't your fault. You weren't there. But yeah. you need to know how we got here. Yeah. And you need to know the truth of what happened. Mm. And what yeah. to do going forward, kind of fix. And what not to do mm. going forward. Don't yeah. make those mistakes. Exactly. Um, talking about the cast and Ms. Lauren Hill, who yeah. shone in this film. And honestly, I remember when I first watched it, I was just such in awe of her. Um, her voice is ridiculous um, mm -hmm. in this how did you think she did in her performance and do you wish she'd done more acting? Do I wish she had done more acting? Yeah. To be honest, no. Okay. I think that she, I think if, if anything, the part was almost written for her. Mm. Is that kind of, you know, it was a bit like Jane Horrocks and they created little voice for Jane Horrocks because she could do multiple voices. And then after she finished the run, they went, uh Oh, no other actors can do all the voices. We can't do little voice anymore. I feel like this was, you know, you could have called the character Lauren. It was for <laughs> Lauren Hill. Um, her voice was phenomenal. Obviously, yeah. her 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 singing ability is yeah. so far out there, so far beyond comedy movies. Yes. You know, of that nature. But and one of the things she did really well in the movie is go from a very unlikable, mm. bitchy teenager, yeah, to someone that you wanted to see redeemed. You mm. were glad that she got on the bus. You were glad that she forged her mom's signature. You were glad that she she uh, stood up for herself in that way. Yeah. Um, but I think that personally, I think she, you know, you you know, you know what she looked. I mean, she's stunning. But mm. the hooded eyes and the looks. I mean, yeah. she gives some evil looks in Brilliant. that movie. Just, <laughs> just, you know, when she looks at her mother, and, and I just like. Eh, <laughs> cut scene you know yeah. her mom's in the shower kill mm. well precisely um uh but for for lauren hill it's words killing mm. her softly mm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you uh so i don't know for me i think no i think that she would do very i think she'd be stunning in a in a dramatic role definitely i think she would i thought definitely she in a dramatic role but yeah. i i personally I think I'd be too scared to watch it. <laughs> well, th that means you're doing a good job, surely, if she's left <laughs> you with this long-lasting impression. I feel like she's done a, a great job in convincing you that she was that character. Um, yeah, no, she did, no, she did a, a, a fabulous job. I think mm -hmm. it was made for her. I don't think we could have picked anyone else no, that time yeah. that could have done it. Like, it was her, no, or the movie didn't get made. 100%. Um, but, 
Yeah, yeah. If she had done more acting, I would have definitely said cast her in some horror, not horror, thriller, emotional, yeah, sort of stuff. Um, I think that would have been a smiley person. Is is she? You know, wouldn't cast her in a sitcom. I mean, you don't know. She's acting. That she well, was that's true. Be, she was meant to be a moody teenager. I feel like she hit the nail on the head there. That's uh, that's how they are. <laughs> she did, yes, you're quite right. When you're not sure if they're acting, then maybe that's when they hit the pinnacle of the, of the skill set. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, I actually would have liked to see her in more more dramas for sure because I think she yeah. has the capacity to, to range on different emotions. So 100% would have loved to see her. Um, in that. Um, also, there was another singer in there, Ryan, Toby, oh. who was in City High. I don't know if you remember. I have not seen group. City High. Yeah, no, it's not a film, it's a group. It's a music group that came out oh. in like the early 2000s. The, what would you do if you found that high? Ryan Toby played Amal. Yes, Amal. Yeah. He has a solo as well. Um, <laughs> so I remember years later when City High came out, it was like, Sister Act. That's <laughs> from Sister Act. That for me is the best moment of the film. Is his voice. His, his solo or his, that that scene, his solo. Mm. I like it almost more than the end because I think you know, you know, watching the movie, even for the first time, you know yeah. they're going to win. You yeah. know they're going to save the day. It's be a grand ending. But mm. you do not see that coming yeah. in the middle of the film. And you don't see it coming from him especially. Also, because he's a bit of a, you know, uh, a choir mouse. Like, he's a little bit quiet and timid. So you see the, the graduation of him, like, building. He kind of represents the um, the other nun who was quite shy. And then when she had her little solo in the first one, she kind of, like, had this massive voice. And you were just like, well, where the hell did that come from, this little person? And I feel like he kind of represents that same character. Yeah, I think I think you're you're exactly right. Yes, the trainee nun. Yes, whose nun name? Was. Oh, what was her name? Mary. Oh. Sister. It would have been Sister Mary something. Wouldn't Sister it? Mary. That's it. Sister Mary Robert. Yes. Um, the difference being, of course, and I, you know, when you learn a piece of information, you go, "Oh, I wish I didn't know that." Yeah. She didn't do her own vocals. Someone <gasps> else did her vocals. Yeah. So I mean. No. When Wendy McKenna, I love her as an actress. She's great, but she she was not the vocalist for her for her. That thing. has ruined my childhood. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have told you, but exactly the same for me when I found that out. And so now, even when I watch it back, I'm like, but that's not you. Uh, that is. What is the point? I almost feel like when it's the whole point of that character is that they've got that amazing voice. Just cast the person with the voice. It shouldn't matter how they look like. Surely. You, well, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know any more than that. Any more I'm now of the determined details. to find out who the Maybe she was. had nodules or something. Um, I feel like we should. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm definitely going to do a quick Google because I'm fuming. I'm <laughs> she was dubbed by singer Andrea Robinson. I just don't know why they didn't get Andrea to do it. It's all, you know, we often think that if someone can do one thing, they can do everything. But mm-hmm. maybe she wasn't an actress. Maybe. Although she's well, gorgeous. That's what I was thinking. I was like, she looks, you know, she's pretty. Well, you learn something new every day. I genuinely didn't Ew. think I could learn anything newer about Sister Act 2, but thank you. Thank you, Ria. But obviously, Whoopi did her own singing. Oh, that, yes. And I, I love that. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it, that's what you love about it even more, because Whoopi's not like, 
you know, Whitney Houston. It's not like the best singing in the world. So it's really authentic. And that's where the kind of comedy aspect as well comes into it because she's almost kind of making fun of herself. Don't get me wrong, she can sing, but she's not, yeah. you know, a Whitney. No, well, it's, it's all about, but this is the thing. You don't have to be the best singer when you can perform yes. the way that she does. Exactly. And... I would, I would go, well, I would watch her do anything. If I go to her show, I'm like, you, what, what do you want to do? You want to sing? Great. You, yeah. want, you want to do comedy? I'm with you. You, you, yeah. you want to do card tricks? A lot of my favorite out. films from my childhood. Um, like I think I, I'm sure I've seen every Whoopi film. I'd be surprised if I haven't. Um, but yeah, she's definitely. So what's your favorite? Oh, my favorite Whoopi film. Mm-hmm. That is probably one of the hardest questions someone's ever asked me. Um, do you know what film I do love of hers, actually? And this might not be a popular one, but Karina Karina. I don't know if you've yes. seen that one. Yes. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Love. Ever since that movie, I blow it I blow it traffic lights. Oh, same here. <laughs> Me and my sister do it every time. <laughs> I'm there, I just you're like, in the car with us. They're like, yeah. what are you doing? We're like <laughs> I do it. Just like three, two, one. <laughs> yeah. Oh my no, god! That's, again, like, that's another wonderful feel good. Um, but it, at the same time, it's slightly uncomfortable, isn't it? Because it's very about- uncomfortable. They have great uncomfortable conversations in there. Really, again, it's very relevant to what's going on now, but also at the time and mm-hmm. this history of black women raising white children. Um, and uh, it, it, it was honestly so underrated. And I just love that performance of hers because yeah. it was more of a demure one. It wasn't. She's usually quite yeah. flamboyant or over the top, but she was very understated in Karina Karina. So yeah. she was. And in fact, I think that's partly why it wasn't comfortable because you, the whole movie, you were like, roar, come yes. on, Whoopi, just roar. Yes, you know, this exactly. is so wrong and it's so uncomfortable and this is so unjust. Mm. Um, and, and I think actually it was really great that she was cast in it yes. because we know of because we know of her strength to mm. be able to see it i think it really highlighted how subjugated people were because if you yes. if you if you cast someone who can play the demure mm. and you don't see the lion and you don't feel the lion in there yeah then you go well what was the big deal well, yeah she seems fine she seems happy she has a job she gets to exactly. eat she has a roof over her head if she keeps her head down then she won't get beaten up and she won't get fired so actually we needed Whoopi in that role to really mm. make every audience member go that was sweet but i feel like i i feel like i consented to something on behalf of yeah. somebody else that i shouldn't have consented to yes Exactly. And it was funny because the actor, I don't know why his name has escaped me. He's used to playing a kind of gangster. Oh, I can see his face. I can see his face. Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Um, But even in that, you saw a more softer side to him as he kind of gradually, his ice melted throughout the film. And so I just think they actually worked so well together and it kind of felt like an unlikely duo. But by the end of it, it was just like, magical film it was and i think that those sort of uh, those i think what we kind of put into those movies and we put it there ourselves as an audience it's like a romantic undertone yes automatically go oh romance um and and also i think that that was another another really well done thing was that kind of like what is the definition of this what is Mm -hmm. okay what isn't okay because of course there were white men that Mm -hmm 
proudly married black women yes. in those days and, 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 and women to men and vice versa. You know, we, there were mixed international yeah. relationships mm-hmm. um, and they suffered for it and they stood yeah. up for their love and for their partnerships. Uh, and we reap the benefits of that today, of, of the hardship that they went through so that those of us now can can love freely. So yeah, that, that was another interesting part of that film. It's underrated. I think people should watch it. One million percent. So that's, I think that would be mine. But again, like you mentioned earlier, Made in America is another one of my faves. Um, 100%. I, and I mean, the cast itself is just ridiculous. So that would... I think that is probably my favorite, but I, I feel that, I feel that it's my favorite, but in a, in a sort of the way that you eat a cheeky McDonald's every now and again. Yes. But if, you know, but I feel that Sister Act 2 is the one that, that deserves more promotion. So Made in America is my, my guilty little secret. Yes. And I love that. And, and actually, even at the time, you know, to have an interracial relationship like that yes. was yes. so unusual and i'm quite sure that to get made in america made because they were dating i think briefly at the time and that's one of the reasons it was made is that whoopi and ted mm. went out for a bit i think they went out for and a bit especially him because he's such an american hunk you know he's such an american like yeah like superstar and everyone loves him so for that relationship to kind of get the it was like the okay you know it was like the seal of approval it was like mm. Okay. Because because um, I was reading actually about Buffy. So uh, Buffy was running in the nineties, and I don't know if you watched it. There's a character I on was there obsessed with Buffy. You obsessed with Buffy? Okay. So the the bitchy cheerleader who eventually got together with Xander Charisma. Oh yes, yes. Played by Charisma. Yes. Uh, Joss Whedon wanted her to be black. He said, "I wanted I want to cast a black actress." Oh, and wow. the okay. studio said, "Yes, but don't you long term want her to end up?" with Xander and they didn't want to have an interracial relationship. So she, wow. eventually, so she got cast as white knowing that she was eventually going to end up with Xander. Um, and so it's still ongoing that you mm. see that. But going back to sister act two, I think mm. the reason why, or do you think the reason why it was a little bit more blacker is because it had a black director, Bill Duke, who also done a uh, deep cover and a few other movies and TV shows. Do you think that played a role? Did it, you think that made a difference? You know, I mean, we can only speculate mm. without totally knowing who influenced it. I, I assume Whoopi had a lot to do with that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if Whoopi says no to the project, that project's dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't, I think they quite sensibly didn't go, well, if you don't do it, we'll just make another singing nuns show. Yeah. And it you just needed Whoopi. Same. Yeah. One million. Yeah. She is just direct. She is sister, and I and I think that. So I don't know what the creative process was, but they obviously had you know sister act one was a huge success, mm. and they wanted to repeat that. And I think that for once they made all the right decisions in deciding yeah. how to do that. And and one of the interesting things that maybe people miss or forget it's a throwaway line at the beginning of the film. But I think it means a lot. I think it has more significance in real life than people realize is when they come to Dolores Van Cartier's dressing room and say, we need your help. We've moved into a school and we're teaching. We're at St. Francis now. She says, I went to that school. Mm. I went to that school. And and I think that 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 line uh, for me, I think that indicates where the inspiration for this came from is that somebody on the team maybe whoopi herself maybe it's a director um or the the writer i think it's judy she's also 
she's also black. So there were a couple of writers, but they very cleverly, quite necessarily, I, I yeah. think, put a black writer on the team. Um, so somebody said, look, I would like to redeem the school of my childhood, and this is how I would like to do it. And so I think that's probably where they came to it from is that, but, you know, but especially if you, if, if, if your main character, Dolores Van Cartier goes, I came from those roots yes. to be this, and we're going to then follow a young Lauren Hill as mm. she wants to realize her dream as a singer. You yes. can't do that and have her be the only black kid in the village. Like yes. you have to, you know, you've got, you've that got automatically to- means that it has to be, there has to be mm. a multicultural classroom for this yeah. for this to grow from it's a little strange at one point when she gets lost in the school and has to be shown around by one of the i'm like you went to the school yeah <laughs> you can't go to the school and then forget how to get around the school it's a church school it hasn't changed since yeah. you were there they have not exactly. painted it they've not rearranged a door but um that's where i think it came from music plays a huge part in this and you mentioned earlier that um amal amal's Solo was your favorite. He had that long name. He said, I identify with my ancestors. Yeah. My name is. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that part as well. That's um, a very woke. Yes, woke it was. Character. It was, wasn't it? Very, very, very woke. Yeah. And I don't think you would get that if Whoopi and Bill Duke are not on it and you've got different directors. I think you get that little line, that gem, because... They understand, they get it. There was something going on at that time, especially in America. Um, yeah. Amal. I think it's Amal. Amal. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favourites is when Lauren and her, one of her, her best friends are sitting by the piano and mm. they sing that, like, um, a cappella. That, to all this day, still gives me shivers. Oh, the harmony. The oh. harmony that those two do on that is beautiful i've listened to that many times only trying to pick up the you know the lower harmony because no no lauren can do lauren (laughs) um uh trying to pick that up but it it, that is a beautiful thing and and it's one of those that you go oh you know when when sister mary robert comes in and goes don't stop everybody in the cinema goes yeah don't don't stop like we'll we'll stay extra please don't stop and i think for a musical it's not as cheesy as you expect musicals to be. And actually it's quite cool and, and soulful and like there's real, you know, proper singing going on, should we say. Mm. And I think, so that's one of the reasons why I love it. And I think why it's been so successful and they've done a musical on Broadway <laughs> because of it, because of the music is great. Um, I think it's definitely underrated when it comes to music, like films and musicals. I don't, it's not one people automatically think of, which I think they should. Well, when you, yeah, people don't think of it as a musical. And yeah. it's because exactly as you said, the, the musicals, people cringe with mm. musicals because people are singing out of, out of time. You, not, not out of time, but out of position. Like there shouldn't be a song here. No one would yeah. walk into the office and go, <laughs> hello, how are you? Uh, and all of the music is logically placed in Sister yeah. Act, which is why exactly. people forget that it's a musical because they don't go, oh, they're singing again. They go, oh, okay, the choir is singing. And that's what choirs do. Mm-hmm. I think that's also why Pitch Perfect has seen such success. Now, like Pitch Perfect for me is the Sister Act yes. of 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 this era. Yes. And the reason I is because they went, how do we do a musical that is acceptable to people who don't like musicals? Yeah. Make the singing 
legitimate. You make yes. the singing fit mm-hmm. uh, and, and you make it stunning. I don't understand why for years you'd watch X Factor or, or BGT and the acapella groups would always get kicked off. People didn't I like would, the acapella. I'm like, what are you doing? That's my favorite. That's my I favorite. love acapella groups. Yeah, I love a harmony. I love a band mm-hmm. together and just absolutely killing it. Um, so that would annoy me. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I stopped watching it because I was like, well, this is not working. This is, I like singers. You went with the dog. Yeah. Of course, of course they did. And I was like, yeah, that's why we are where we are <laughs> right now. So for those people who have been living under a rock and haven't had a chance to watch Sister Act 2. They've been uh, self-isolating. In safe <laughs> Where would what scene would you direct them to on YouTube to watch to entice them to go and watch Sister Act Two? Oh, definitely uh, Google something along the lines of Sister Act Two Choir Assembly. Mm. That's that's the scene, the Choir Assembly. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one. If you don't want to, because that is, as I already said, that's the pinnacle of the movie. But you don't yeah. mind. It, it's one of the things that even if you watch it now, you don't mind coming up against it again because the build-up towards it, the emotional build-up... Yes, exactly. ...is so well-managed that mm. when you get to that point, the anticipation, you'll want to see it again. And as I said, I sometimes just flick in, watch that scene a couple times, and then log out of Disney. Um, <laughs> Disney, by the way. If anyone, if anyone is a Disney... What's it called? Disney Plus? Disney Prime? Disney Plus, yeah. Disney Plus. That's where you can see both Sister Act and Sister Act 2. That yeah. scene. If you don't want that spoiled for you, then you want to Google Sister Act 2 uh, music class. And hopefully what you'll get is there's a... So she's teaching the music class and they're all bored to be there and they don't want to be there and she's getting them to chant and they have to chant, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, wake up and pay attention. And they keep doing this over and over again. And then someone at the back of the class goes, can we like liven this up a bit at least? Mm. And then the whole class breaks into, if you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. And and then they, and they're in, and they're in there with the rhythm and they're in there with, and they, the whole class just comes together in that moment. And that's, I think, that's also a beautiful thing. If you just want a little snippet, watch that and then save the assembly yeah, I was going to say that scene. I was going to say that scene, if you want to be somebody, because it shows them being like, you know, moany teenagers and bored and then like her turning it around and then it becoming a really cool hip class that you want to be part of. Um, and that yeah. song stuck to me forever. Like me and my sisters will randomly just burst into that, um, which is fun to sing. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, and actually, if you get the soundtrack, I think they mm. do... They do a fuller version of it. Yeah, which is they do a fuller version of the um, of the song of the scene that you were saying when they're at the piano. If Jesus was my, is it savior? That one. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I might have to just download the soundtrack and just have a good old. Oh, that. keep it on your iPod. I tell <laughs> you, it's it's a it's a feel good for any time of day. Ria, it has been an absolute pleasure. And I think once you've watched Grey's Anatomy and you've caught up, we need to have another conversation. <laughs> Definitely. I'm racing through it. So give me like 
a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, oh wow, week and a half. That's yeah. good. That's Maybe good. give me a month. Give me a month. Just, okay. you know, how often am I washing dishes? I know. I was like, she's going to watch like five episodes tonight for sure. But honestly, it's been a pleasure having you on and I wish you the absolute best. And it'll be Thank great you. to come down at one of our screenings. Um, oh, yes, please. Great. Yes. I'd love that. Fabulous. Um, well, thanks for having me. Thank you, Ria. Wish you all Thank the best. You. Thank you.